I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson, and in a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This episode of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 tier and above supporters of Parallax Views on patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And those supporters get a producer's credit shoutout on each and every edition of the show. So producer's credit shoutouts to Mark, Arlen, Spartacus, Gunner, Ed, Gratz, James, Mickey, Brian, The Warner, The 42 Group, Nick, Emilia, Chase, Chris, Ork, Black Tuna, Nathan, David, Holland, Martin, Stu, Jeffrey, Thomas, Elliot, Colin, Michael, Matthew Ho, Brace, Galen, Justin, Nick W., and The Mere Project, M-E-E-R. Thank you again to all of those $10 tier and above supporters on my Patreon page. You can join them at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. It's those producers credit supporters that can really help this show keep going, and their support is very much appreciated. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. On this edition of the program, we're going to be talking about Alexander Dugin, the Russian philosopher who has been called Putin's brain. Is he a traditionalist? An Orthodox Christian? An occultist? A Russian imperialist? Or a mix of all of the above? We're going to be exploring all that more on this edition of Parallax Views with guest Franco Malich of Kali Tribune. This conversation was recorded back in April, so keep that in mind as the Ukraine conflict is mentioned in the course of our conversation. And with that being said, let's get right to it with Franco Malich. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm very interested to be speaking with, Branko Malic of the Kali Tribune. How are you doing today? Oh, doing great. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, doing, doing very good, doing very good. And we're going to be talking about a figure uh, that's uh, sort of been on people's minds lately uh, due to the Ukraine invasion. Uh, Alexander Dugan, who's been known as uh, Putin's brain or Putin's Rasputin. Mm-hmm. And I think both you and I uh, have often held the view in the past that uh, Dugan was kind of a, a ridiculous character, uh, that he was, uh, you know, on the outs, especially after he was I, basically, I think, uh, more or less expelled or became a disgraced academic after a kerfuffle with uh, Moscow State University. Uh, but before we get into all of that, um, just for the sake of my listeners, maybe you could talk uh, a little bit about your background um, and, and where you come from in, in terms of um, 
I don't want to say ideology, but like how you think about the world and, and just that kind of thing. Well, I'm philosophy graduate, like a master's in philosophy, and I publish on subjects uh, related to classical or traditional philosophy, as I like to put it. Uh, my outlook would be to observe things through lenses of, uh, let's say, traditional metaphysics uh, on uh, along the lines of what philosophy used to be before uh, maybe Renaissance or something like that. It may seem seem a bit far fetched, but in fact, it's not. It's it's kind of like uh, well, philosophical outlook or or. Uh, uh, worldview that is still present among many people that is even part of a ancestral common sense, but it is not in focus in modernity and especially now in so-called post-modernity. Uh, so I cover subjects on a rather broad range from uh, post-humanism uh, lately uh, to social analysis, uh, even maybe some politics, but not, uh, not uh, I don't have a very, very hard political focus. And ideology, I wouldn't say I have one. I, I, I wouldn't call myself uh, to be in possession of, of any ideology. So uh, this doesn't make me uh, neutral, of course, but uh, I really couldn't point myself in, 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 in some kind of, of systematic political outlook. Uh, and Dugin was, among others, uh, uh, for, for, uh, for a period uh, quite in a focus of my, let's call it, research. Yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way because uh, a lot of my listeners may come from a, a left or materialist perspective. Uh, I have other listeners that come from other perspectives, so I always like to get uh, where my guests are coming from. But um, with all that being said, um, maybe you could tell my listeners just a little bit about uh, Kali Tribune and how it started, um, just maybe in, in a minute or so. Well, Kali Tribune uh, is a project I started first in Croatian. Now it's bilingual site. It's, uh, it has English and, and Croatian version. And the uh, interesting thing, I started Kali Tribune uh, when I wrote uh, an article on Dugi. Uh, for one Croatian, uh, uh, in fact, leftist magazine, but not uh, not uh, not internet magazine, but regular paper magazine, a review of a book that was translated in Croatian. And then when I realized that the article really made rounds, that people got interested, uh, and it was completely uh, out of the blue for me because I, I didn't expect that it would uh, it would cause any kind of attention. I decided that maybe I could put up the web website and publish myself because, as you know, when you when you work with uh, with uh, magazines, newspapers, uh, you have no control of editorial policy. You have to sometimes beg them to publish something, and that's how Kali Tribune started and developed in the process. I'm not alone uh, in this project. I have my friend Mikhail Marinescu from Romania. So he's also publishing uh, a lot. Uh, we, had, we have podcasts and uh, when I have time, uh, I publish longer essays, which are the most important thing on various subjects. I, I guess I just was wondering, uh, 
just to give my my listeners an idea that the name what why Kali Tribune? Uh, everybody asks me that. Uh, it's it, it was an inside joke between my uh, me and my friends, and I would really like to change that name, but but now that everybody knows it as KT. Uh, it became some kind of a brand, so it's stupid to change name. It's from uh, René Guénon. We were uh, joking uh, about the time in which we are living, that it is a kind of, not not the last, the end times, but penultimate times, because uh, it always seems like somebody is saying that world is going to end in this or that way, but it, this end is always postponed to infinity. So uh, according to René Guénon, to simplify things a, a bit, and René Guénon, for those who don't know, is a, was a French metaphysician. Uh, Traditionalist school of, uh, of uh, perennialist thought, right? Uh, no, that's, that's how <laughs> people label him. But no, no, he rejected that, that label. But those who follow him usually call themselves that way. Uh, but the, he, he had this idea that this is the idea about world cycles, uh, huge uh, epochs or eons of, of world history uh, that go towards, uh, towards a kind of uh, dissolution of the world and then again a rebuilding of the rebuilding of the integral state of the world that Kali Yuga is in, in, in Indian, in Hindu. Uh, Hindu, I wouldn't call it philosophy, let's call it thought, uh, this period of uh, complete decline that when it reaches its limit, starts uh, uh, again, uh, starts the inception of, of reintegration of the world, of uh, situation when, when the life or illusion becomes total, uh, it, it has nothing else to hide behind, and then the truth just starts shining out and so on. I mean, it's, it's, I am, of course, simplifying things a bit, and not that I take this idea 100% truth, but I used it as a good metaphor. Uh, so that's why we called it uh, Kali Tribune initially. Although, as I said, uh, that's, that was an inside joke, and... Uh, Inside joke uh, for Croats, so <laughs> who are in the know. So most people in the West couldn't really comprehend why, why somebody would call a website like that. But uh, it's not. I'm not. I'm not some kind of, of uh, as you call them, traditionalist, perennialist. No. I just, just at the time I read a lot of René Guénon, and I do have a high opinion, although didn't let's say somewhat with some reserves about him. It, it, it's interesting, and we'll get right to Dugan after this, but uh, I'm glad you mentioned Guinan because I always find it interesting. There's all these people I know that, that will always talk about, oh, I am a traditionalist. I, I love the, the traditionalist school of thought. And I'm like, well, who do you read within it? And, and they'll always say Guinan, but then when you ask them about what they know about Guinan, they don't seem to know much. And it seems yeah. like a, a lot of people that claim to be traditionalists, they're just familiar with maybe um, uh, the figure of Julius Evola. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Julius, Julius Evola was, uh, was something completely different, although he and Genon were pen pals, they were corresponding, although if you read their correspondence, you can see that Genon sized him up uh, immediately, that, that he's missing the point. Uh, Genon uh, was peculiar 
man. And uh, to this day, I'm not sure that I figured him out, what, what made him tick. Because what I like in him uh, was that he had a genuine philosophical talent uh, or metaphysical talent, as he would call it, maybe. Uh, he was intellectual uh, with the mind of a medieval monk or medieval scholastic. And I mean, I don't mean this metaphorically. He really taught in uh, categories of uh, pre-modern times. It's a very, very interesting thing. Uh, but uh, what is very important in him, his idea of being in tradition, as he called it, or being out of the modern world uh, was not activist one. So. Uh, it was uh, more like, uh, um, not even attitude, but the mode of being, of personal being, uh, if I could put it in that way, uh, contemplative stance. And that is very obvious uh, 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 when people start to portray him as some kind of proto-fascist or, I don't know, right-wing... Uh, radical or something like that, uh, those levels just don't stick. Uh, whereas when you put them to somebody like Evola, they do stick. Although Evola was far more radical than, than any fascist of his age. Uh, so he was not, uh, what I want to say, he was not a political man. And his philosophy does not really have political implications in the sense that you could make a political movement out of it. You know, he, he, he observed history as something that we cannot really influence with our outward actions. Uh, we can influence uh, history only in the sense of uh, kind of reintegrating ourselves to common origin, to, to, to origin from which religions, true religions sprang out and classical philosophy and classical art, for instance, and such things. And that was the only act uh, that he considered uh, relevant in this sense, because uh, uh, the world, uh, as Genon understands it, is not uh, kind of something that, that man can, can form uh, by his own action, outward actions, with making revolutions, uh, wars, and such things. Uh, but with this inner concentration of uh, uh, that that brings forth kind of like uh, culture and atmosphere in which uh, intellectual atmosphere in which people move, and in that sense he was he was remarkable. I can give you one example. For instance, uh, his understanding of medieval uh, transcendental so-called philosophy of Thomas Aquinas was. Uh, in my opinion, some 50 years uh, ahead of uh, scholarship, because I found in some of his uh, offhand remarks about Aquinas some things that people are only now discovering as essential, essential, essential um, features of, of Aquinas philosophy that give a completely new light. Uh, new light, throw a new light on, on, on the whole scholastics. Now, this is a bit specialized uh, philosophical subject, but, but it's a good example uh, how, how peculiar this man was and how remarkable. And this is, this is why I like it. But he had this, uh, I think, uh, uh, maybe too uh, optimistic view 
<laughs> on Orient, on, on, on the East, not so much East as geographical term, but also like that too. But uh, East as a, as, a, as a kind of uh, source of, 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 of all spiritual substance in this world, whereas West is a total, total totally botched, uh, totally kind of like a uh, place where, where everything goes into the solution. I, I don't agree with that. That's, that's just too radical for me. And I don't think well-grounded. But, you know, you, you cannot... You, uh, how should I put it? Oh, he's very good. If you want somebody, if you are a man of intellectual back, and if you want somebody to turn you back to your own tradition, for instance, if you are Catholic uh, or, I don't know, if you, are, if, you, if, if you have some a central ancestral tradition in which you are born, but you don't pay much heed about it, as most of us do, uh, he is the guy who is able to turn turn the man towards it, back towards it. And in, from what I saw, uh, in quite healthy way, you know, it, it doesn't end up with, uh, with, with people going into religious fanaticism or something like that, because he's very intellectual and uh, understanding him uh, must be in steps, step by step. And then if, if he influences you, uh, you know exactly why. Uh, there is nothing hidden. There is nothing subliminal in him, and that's uh, that's very admirable, uh, admirable um, quality in thinker. Something very rare. So that's why uh, I appreciate Guenon. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm sorry we got sidetracked on Guenon, but I, I I just wanted to talk about that because I think it illustrates that you you're not one of these people who uh, are talking about Guenon or or figures that uh, people associate Guenon. Uh, like the Kumra Swamis and and whatnot. Uh, You're not, I think there are people that mention these names almost as like a chic online fashion thing. You're very scholarly and you take this very seriously. And I think uh, your discussion just now of Gwinnon shows that. So I appreciate that. Um, I guess now with regards to Alexander Dugan, um, for listeners that don't know, uh, how would you sum up or who would you say Alexander Dugan is? Well, Alexander Dugin is a philosopher. Most people uh, denigrate him as a charlatan. I don't think he is a charlatan. I think he has genuine philosophical talent. Uh, I think also that he is extremely destructive man. Uh, it is one of the most destructive figures uh, you can encounter in this internet public sphere today. This is my opinion. I'll try to explain why. Uh, he's, uh, uh, people usually speculate about his influence on Russian politics. Uh, as you said in the beginning uh, that uh, I, um, I don't know, you mentioned yourself and some other people are ridiculing him and so on. Uh, that he is a bit ridiculous. I'm ridiculing him because uh, I kind of see some ridiculous things uh, that come from his, uh, this greater Russian mentality, which I kind of recognize and I like to make full fun at it. But there is nothing funny, in fact, about his ideas. And he is very serious about his ideas also. Uh, 
the other peculiar thing is that he's very uh, uh, quick to change them if it suits him. But as, as uh, regards the seriousness of his figure in Russia, uh, look, he, he is not Putin's brain, I think. Uh, that's how they or call Putin's it. Rasputin as Rasputin. I feel like it, I'm not interrupting you here, but uh, yeah, I, I feel as if he almost wants to play up that image at times, uh, even if it's not necessarily true. Yeah, look, you said that he was a disgraced academic. He was not disgraced because it is not disgrace in Russia to say be Ukrainsa, kill Ukrainians. He he said, uh, I think in, in some. This is the reason why he lost the job, because he said, kill, kill. I say this as a professor. <laughs> and, and they gave him a boot because at that time, uh, Russians, uh, I, I presume Russians were still uh, playing it safe. You know, they were, they were fighting the info war, which they now lost deliciously. I mean, they screwed it up completely. But at that time, that was 2014 or 15. It, he was a bit of liability for them, so he got another job. Uh, in Russian public, uh, things that things like that are not problem, and I'm making this inference from popularity of Dugin's uh, most important, or maybe only important book, and that's uh, Elementary Geopolitics, Foundations of Geopolitics. That's Which the is the one book I think that uh, it's it's very hard to get a good English translation of. All his other stuff can, but. No, it's not translated in English. You have some machine translation, uh, Google translation. Right, right. But I, I wouldn't recommend it. There's no point. Uh, I mean, uh, a lot of ideas from that book you can find in some of his online articles that are precisely on the subject of uh, geopolitics. Uh, but uh, uh, bearing in mind that he wrote that book for Russian public, uh, it was published in 1997. Uh, he doesn't mince words as he does sometimes when he writes in English. So he writes a completely different, in completely different terms. Uh, there, uh, he, he doesn't put gloves on, so to speak. I mean, interesting thing about that book is uh, it was uh, the compilation of his lectures that he held on uh, military academy in Moscow. If I remember correctly, uh, that was, I don't remember which academy exactly, but it was for higher, uh, higher ranking military officers above the rank of colonel. So in that sense, well, that's pretty important. Uh, and the, those were 90s in Yeltsin era, and uh, that book was sold out, uh, it had I don't know how many editions it was very much read, but what we have to understand about Russia, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Dugin, uh, ideas like Dugin, uh, dime a dozen there. You know, you have a lot of other actors who are uh, rehashing the similar ideas, and you have people who are more important to him, the members of their academy of arts and sciences that have very similar uh, this imperial ideology that he is pushing forward, but he's the most extreme. He's definitely the most extreme. And what I want to say about this book, uh, Foundations of Geopolitics, everything that, uh, this is my opinion, 
Uh, and you've actually read the book. You've had a. <laughs> I read it. I read it uh, uh, three times. I think it's <laughs> it's a very painful experience. <laughs> Although it's an interesting book. I mean, uh, if you want to know the mind of your enemy, something like that <laughs> gives you some pleasure. Then this book is really uh, ultimate trip. Uh, yeah, this book, that, that book is, uh, is, is unprecedented exercises in megalomania. I mean, I, I never, never saw anything like that because bear in mind it was written uh, at the time when, when Russia was at its low point. And this book is in fact a blueprint, uh, an invitation to create the global uh, Russian centered empire. Uh, now, what he means by that is uh, very, at least ideologically sophisticated, but you have to understand that uh, Russia haven't had capacities to govern itself, let alone the whole world. And it doesn't have now, but nevertheless, <laughs> now they, uh, they, they, they made a bid, at least at, as, a, as, as it seems to me, to reintegrate uh, the space of former Soviet Union, starting with Ukraine. But <laughs> as we can see from, from what is happening in the last month or so, they are not doing very well. But uh, to the main idea of, of, of foundations of geopolitics. Now, Dugin's idea is that uh, the whole history of the world is a conflict uh, between uh, land and sea. And when I say land and sea, I don't mean principles, I mean literally. This is something that is, most of his readers in the West don't get. He, he, he uh, takes uh, he, uh, this material uh, facts of the masses of land, sea, mountains, and so on, as uh, causes of culture, of history, of, of everything. And uh, the destiny, uh, historical destiny of a given people uh, is conditioned by its uh, geographical position. And Russian position is the center of Eurasia, that is to say this uh, great landmass that encompasses, uh, that goes from uh, Dublin uh, or Lisbon to Vladivostok. And uh, he's using geopolitics uh, to prove that the Russian destiny in, in history is a special destiny, that it is a world-integrating destiny, that Russians have to integrate the civilization around themselves. Of course, he uses uh, the ideas of uh, other geopoliticians, people who started this science, or maybe even civil science, or political technique in 19th century to 20th century. You mean like from, people like Mackinder and whatnot? Or? Yes, yes. Mackinder is one of them. Mackinder is, uh, gave, uh, is, 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 is the one that mostly gets mentioned. But uh, Dugin gives, uh, at the outset of the book, he gives you a history of, of, of uh, geopolitical theories. Mackinder is import, yeah, very important to him. Uh, other is Carl Schmidt and Karl Haushofer, uh, Germans, uh, because of the idea of Grossrau, uh, the big space. And this is the idea that the, there are people 
or who express the principle of sea or the principle of land in most perfect way because they are situated as they are in the, on the globe. And those are people that build civilization. And in order to build civilization, you have to have this gross round uh, or a Lebens round. Uh, the term that Nazis used, that they, uh, uh, Grossraum is from Schmidt, Lebensraum is from Haushofer, but Lebensraum, this living space, uh, this does not mean uh, kind of like space that you can populate with your people while exterminating other people. This is not the original idea. Uh, the idea is that Grossraum is the space uh, that can make uh, this civilizational empire safe. And this is very important to understand uh, why, why Ukraine is so important to Russia. And this is not only in Dugin, this is really something that obviously uh, Russian uh, politicians, Putin and others, uh, have in mind. Because big space is not merely Russia, but all the space around Russia that makes her safe. That includes buff, uh, countries that should be buffer zones, that should be some kind of... Uh, borderlands between uh, Russia and its enemies and so forth. And Ukraine is, is a key country in this sense because it is the great plain that leads directly in the heart of European part of Russia. So uh, this is one of the reasons, uh, one of the explanations why they see it as, as necessary to, to be incorporated in Russia. Because without Ukraine, Russia cannot be empire. And the trouble is, Dugin, and obviously <laughs> many others in Russia, uh, consider that Russia cannot exist unless it is empire. So it's well, why does he believe choice. that, though? Well, why does Russia need to be an empire, uh, according to Dugin? Yeah, that's a good question, and there are a lot of a lot of very interesting ways to answer it. Uh, one is, uh, for instance, is that Russia's destiny, as I already said. Uh, Russia's destiny is special because of its uh, position, uh, geographical position on the globe. Now, mind you, we have to bear in mind that when I say globe, I presume by this, the geopolitics is by nature globalist. That's, I think a lot of people don't get this detail. You cannot have geopolitics in the sense that Dugin understands it, without having globalized world. So you couldn't have geopolitics in 13th century or 14th century in the true sense of the word, because it is, uh, in Dugin's view, a science of global conflict uh, between sea and the land. And all the values we consider moral or civilizational values, for instance, uh, honor, family, patriotism on the one hand, or free markets, uh, I don't know, free, uh, free trade, free speech, even uh, freedom of individual on the other hand, are in fact product, uh, products of these uh, 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 geographical givens. So land civilization has more like this, uh, let's say, Spartan uh, virtues, whereas uh, Sea civilization has Athenian virtues, uh, as he puts it in, in, in one place, because Athens was more mercantile city-state, while Sparta, Sparta was, was a military 
which I call it aristocracy. And uh, uh, globalization, in Dubin's view, uh, created a situation where sea and land polarized into two blocks. On the one hand, you have total, as he calls it, terrorocratic civilization, the land civilization, and this total sea civilization. And in our day and age, uh, those are United States and its allies, which Rus Russians call Euro-Atlantic bloc. And on the other hand, Russia and the rest. And there will be inevitable uh, clash, let's call it Enkampf, the final war between the two. And which hopefully he is convinced <laughs> the land civilization will win. And now why it is destined? So, well, uh, Dubin is incorporating, I would say, all the worst, uh, worst uh, aspects of this Russian uh, uh, messianic, uh, messianic worldview that was always present in Russian culture, that is present uh, even in, in, in the greatest uh, instances of Russian culture, that is present in Dostoevsky, it is present in Solzhenitsyn, you name it. But, and it is above all present in Russian Orthodox Church, let us not forget. But uh, in Dugin, uh, it is uh, purified to its essence, and it is the main thing. He calls uh, Russians uh, Narod Bogonosets. This means uh, the God-bearing people, or Narod Christonosets, the Christ-bearing people. That Russians have, in Dugin's view, a kind of uh, special kind of universality that is different than what he calls uh, Western universality. By Western universality, he means this uh, formal universality of human rights, of uh, free market, or such things, or everything that you can imagine, I mean, that grew out of Western uh, Anglo-Saxon culture. And uh, whereas Russians have universality uh, that is concrete, they are universalist people. Wherever Russians come, people integrate around them. And this integration has eschatological meaning, that is to say this is salvation. They are bound to save the world by incorporating the world into this global teleocratic land empire, Eurasian empire. That's is this like... Um... You know, people use the term uh, Pax Americana, right? Is it mm -hmm. almost like he wants a Pax Russica? Yes, precisely. Not only, uh, yeah, <laughs> you guessed it. That's what he's doing all the time. You have, he's, uh, he wants to mirror, uh, give a mirror image of uh, uh, institutions, for instance, uh, a trilateral commission that you have. This is uh, like, think tank or, no, no, it's not think tank, economic forum that is meant to join uh, Japan, Europe, and United States uh, for, uh, in their sphere of influence for economic uh, planning, let's say. He wants the trilateral commission of Eurasian type. So just making a mirror image. Uh, so that's uh, throughout, throughout the foundations of geopolitics. So that, that's really interesting because yes. he says he's anti-globalist, but 
it, it sounds like what you're <laughs> describing is he just wants a different form of of Absolutely. globalism or globalization. Absolutely. As I told you, geopolitics, for Dugin, geopolitics is an ultimate science. So uh, as Hegel would say, for instance, that philosophy is an absolute science uh, in the sense that philosophy can give you the total knowledge, as Hegel believed in his time. So the Dugin believes geopolitics is absolute science. Uh, it, give, it, it transcends all other sciences. And uh, its final end is the global domination, unification of the world. And it is inconceivable, as I already said, without globalization. So he is globalist in that sense, absolutely. Because uh, he says that uh, original form of this conflict of land and sea uh, can be observed on the conflict of the Rome and Carthage. Uh, because Carthage was uh, a mercantile Phoenician civilization, whereas Romans were land power. And uh, there is truth in that. Now, let's be clear. Geopolitics is not some kind of, uh, I don't know, weaving illusions and so on and so forth. Uh, if you read the Western geopoliticians, some of whom he uh, copiously quotes, uh, that had very much influence on politics. These really are vectors of geopolitics. But what Dugin does with this, he makes turns this into eschatology, into global eschatology. And to get back only to one thing, you you asked me about this special role of Russians. Now it's interesting what he thinks by Russian people. Russian people are not so much ethnic Russians. Russian people is more like metaphysical substance. Uh, that is the people of the empire. If there is no empire, there is no Russian people. This is very dangerous thought. And I'll get back to that, dangerous for Russians, because this is something very similar uh, to what you had in Nazism, where uh, at, the, at, the, at the end of the war, when it was obvious that they will lost, that, that Nazis will, will lost, uh, there was this scorched earth policy because uh, Hitler said, uh, I will paraphrase him, uh, Germans lost uh, their, their uh, destiny, they got defeated, now they don't deserve to exist. Uh, on Dugin's logic, if Russians are not capable of building an empire, they don't deserve to exist. And that's very, that's very worrisome. If I, I were a Russian, I would be very worried about such idea. So uh, why, why are they chosen in, in, in Dugin's view? Because they, uh, they have this incorporating, they, he understands uh, church, state, and the people as one entity. And this is very hard to comprehend. Now, I understand this, that is to say better I, I recognize this when I see it because uh, I'm from Croatia. Uh, we had very troubled past, present, and will have probably very troubled future with Serbia that has very similar political national idea from the 19th century onwards. So I recognize this mentality. It's very peculiar. It's very hard to comprehend that to people who live further west who never were in contact with something like that. Uh, and this is the idea where, where uh, they, uh, they 
incorporate you as they want to do with Ukraine. I give you an example. They entered Ukraine uh, not as uh, uh, with this invasion, not as an enemy state, but as a part of Russia with Russians that forgot that they are Russians. Uh, that the, with the Russians, that is Ukrainians, uh, that uh, that were seduced by Nazis and so on and so forth. If the Ru- Ukrainians waved their hands and said we surrender, nothing would happen. Uh, I mean, they would they would take down their country, they would take down their government, install their puppets, and everything would be okay. <laughs> Ukrainians, uh, what Ukrainians did. They said, no, we are Ukrainians. And they united, the whole country united around this. And then uh, this is unfortunately a call for genocide uh, from Russians because they uh, cannot comprehend if they decided somehow that you are part of this body of the Russian people and you deny this, then... uh, then you are screwed. Then, then, then they they go uh, for destruction, because this idea of universality uh, that uh, Dugin praises in Russian people is the universality that cannot comprehend other with big O. You know, uh, it is idea uh, of Christian like Christian universality where you have church that has to encompass all peoples, but this church is identified with single particular people, single particular country, and this country then has to expand. What should have been a a kind of spiritual missionary work becomes a work of conquest. That's how I see it. It's pretty hard to put in words to really pinpoint it because idea, very idea is a kind of political mysticism. You know, it's, it's not rational, but this is, in a way, how Dugin puts it, I, I merely paraphrased some of his some of his uh, thoughts from Foundations of Geopolitics. So th- there's a lot to unpack there, but uh, you know, I'm recalling. I remember uh, someone on the far right said, you know, um, Dugin isn't necessarily always like us. Like I, I forget if it was uh, someone. It was someone from one of these racialist websites saying they were more concerned with race. Whereas Dugan is more concerned with space empire and time. Mm-hmm. Is that a good assessment of Dugan? Is that his sort of um, obsession, yes. space, empire, and time? Space, I don't know about time, space, and empire. Definitely a race. No, 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 absolutely not. Because, because this is completely different understanding of ethnicity and nationality. Uh, race is important in Anglo-Saxon world. Even in us, in Eastern Europe, race was never the issue. Uh, but this doesn't <laughs> doesn't make him any better. This is far worse because <laughs> the problem of space. Now this is interesting. Uh, he is uh, constantly thinking in spatial terms uh, because the uh, he uh, he uh, starts and ends his thought in the ground in the land. Not planned as some kind of poetic metaphor, not planned as a kind of uh, loom of the land of your childhood or something sentimental, but simply soil. It's completely, that's uh, utterly materialistic uh, metaphysics. He wants this land to expand. 
he cannot comprehend uh, the, 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 the state in which Russia would not expand because it has to uh, encompass everything. Uh, it cannot stop. And uh, I have to uh, make a caveat here, uh, by this Eurasian empire, it doesn't mean global Russia, but Russia as a center around which would be satrapies or <laughs> of Russia, other cultures that are nevertheless uh, under the thumb of Russia and the uh, Russian uh, empire and imperial ideology. Uh, he doesn't consider it to be ideology, but he considers it to be the normal state of, 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 of human beings into which human beings will return after Russia uh, dominates the whole globe. So it's not, what I want to say, it's not expansion of ethnic Russians. This is very important to understand. This is expansion of an idea and trouble is, uh, people like Dugin, uh, not only him, uh, but he, he, he puts it very simply. He doesn't differentiate between imagination and the real space, imagined space and real space. When he says, for instance, uh, Ukraine is a part of Russia up to, I don't know, how many kilometers what border to Carpathians or something like that. For him, that's once he imagines this, for him, this is already reality. And the wars that he can wage then are just uh, means uh, to, 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 to make this reality obvious. This is, I know that this is very convoluted, but I'm trying to get into his head a bit because most people don't do when they talk about Dugin and I think it's very important. You know why? Because there are a lot of Dugin's works on internet. There are lots of Dugin books. I read a lot of them uh, about philosophy, about post-humanism, about this or that. Some of his writings are excellent. Some seem very uh, metaphysically oriented, but this is not true. The only important thing for him is this politics, this geopolitics, the land and sea, and everything else, this four political theory, claptrap, all those things are games. Those are like, like illusions he puts, maybe not even intentionally, but he tells people in the West what the people in the West want to hear. It's almost and, as if there is an English Dugan and a Russian Dugan. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But he's a kind of guy, you know, Edward Limonov, you know who he is, that Russian writer. I'm familiar with Limonov, yes. Yeah, they were friends for some time. They had this national Bolshevik party and uh, Edichka said, <laughs> said that uh, with, with Sasha Dugin, it was, uh, he was like that octopus that always changes colors. Put him along, among fascists, he is a fascist. Put him among communists, he becomes communist. He was part of, uh, with Zyuganov, of this communist, uh, revived the Russian Communist Party. I think he wrote even their earliest draft of their program, party program. So he has absolutely no problem with that. But the core idea is, is constant in him. And this core idea is very brutal, uh, absolutely insane, eschatological. Uh, if I could interrupt war. you, yes, yes, of course. 
it, it sounds like, you know, in, in case people don't know, so when we hear the term eschaton, uh, I think the, the definition uh, that I have pulled up, um, it, it's used in theology to refer to the final event in the divine plan or the end of the world. And to me, uh, when I think of Dugan, in a lot of ways, he wants to do what, um, I, I remember William F. Buckley, the, the conservative thinker, yes. uh, once said, don't immentitize the eschaton. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to immentitize the eschaton. That seems to be what Dugan's goal Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Do you know where this uh, uh, term comes from, immanentizing the eschaton? If you could go on and, and explain. Yeah, I thought you heard of it. That's Eric Vogel. Uh, German yes, yeah. uh, he's a German philosopher, very underrated. Uh, not that your leftist <laughs> listeners would very much like him. But I would advise giving a look. Uh, nevertheless, because he was not the kind of guy that would go alienating people on political basis, but uh, he was immanentizing of eschaton is his term, and uh, I think he was uh, the master of recognizing individuals like Dugin for what they were. Although uh, he struck, struck a left, both left and right in that sense, and he would have a ball with uh, Dugin. And also, yes, immanentizing the eschaton means uh, closing of the transcendence. By transcendence, I mean that which is beyond history. And in Christianity, for instance, uh, the salvation is beyond history, it's beyond life, beyond personal life. It's always something that transcends uh, temporal gear. Immanentizing the eschaton would mean uh, to negate that, that there exists anything outside history, anything uh, outside matter and your, for instance, your individual life, but uh, inserting into this confined space this absolute idea of absolute salvation. And Dugin is, Dugin is absolutely doing that. In, in, he's doing that even in these uh, theological terms. He, uh, that's why he, you know, that's why he uses a lot of metaphysics. Uh, uh, that's why you'll find uh, René Guénon uh, in him or uh, Platon, Aristotle. But his main inspiration, by the way, in this sense is Martin Heidegger. He's his he's, he's philosophical muse. So yes. So uh, why is it, that? Why is Heidegger his, his philosophical muse? Well, for, for the lay audience that may not understand why. Well, Heidegger, uh, Heidegger is, a, is a very, very peculiar thinker. Uh, Heidegger's idea was that, to put it as simply as I can, uh, that uh, the whole history of the West, of the Western civilization from uh, Plato onwards is, uh, uh, is, is, is kind of uh, living, uh, developing a, a subtle philosophical error uh, that is alienating man from what he, Heidegger calls being. And I won't go into that, that will get us too, too far. But uh, let us say for the sake of this, uh, this subject that uh, something went wrong two, two millennia and a half ago. And uh, there is Heidegger to show us what went wrong and how we can rectify it. And Heidegger's idea was that the, all this technological uh, world, the, the world of modernity, and now postmodernity, that is to say, world of technology falling apart, 
uh, is, uh, is in fact caused by metaphysics. That is to say that it started with Platon, uh, with Aristotle, and then Middle Ages, and in the, in the German philosophy, and coming to him who, who wants to demolish this. And that this metaphysics kind of uh, hid uh, the true, uh, the true, authentic, uh, authentic uh, relationship that man can have with being, and being in Heidegger is something that cannot be defined. This is term used in philosophy. Uh, I won't <laughs> try to explain it, but uh, when you talk about Heidegger, uh, you kind of have a very difficult time to explain to people what is it that Heidegger wants us to experience so we become authentic and all the game becomes uh, innocent or whatever he wants. Uh, it boils down, in my opinion, in Heidegger, in, in, in an attempt to uh, create a new beginning in philosophy and in politics. Uh, that will break out of, of, of completely from civilization. Because I know as I studied Heidegger and I studied uh, uh, philosophers uh, whom Heidegger butchered in his books like Platon or Aristotle, he was, uh, uh, for instance, uh, his, his uh, writings on Aristotle are in fact complete mis intentional misrepresentation of Aristotle. He tries to put his own, uh, uh, let's say, his own vision of what Aristotle is in this eschatological history onto actual Aristotle, whereas this has nothing to do with reality. An attempt is to break out from the civilizational nexus, uh, to break out from constraints of tradition, let's say, which is paradox uh, because Heidegger is by most understood as some kind of traditionalist, uh, he's not anything but. And uh, this is one of the reasons uh, why probably he fell for Nazism in Germany as he was a party member, I think until 1945, he was paying, paying his dues party uh, membership, uh, although he wasn't Nazi in a, in a, in a sense that, that Bormann was or, or Himmler or somebody, uh, but he saw, for instance, I'll give you an example because uh, to see how peculiar this uh, thought is. He thought that Nazism is breaking through this globalization, this uh, uh, domination of technology and, and the world without values as he considered it. But instead of going towards Platon and Aristotle, and from Christianity to, to his own tradition, he tried to deconstruct this the, the transition. By the way, the term deconstruction uh, is, uh, I think Jacques Derrida was first to take it from Heidegger's uh, term destruction, destruction of traditional anthology and so on. It's very influential on these postmodern uh, uh, philosophers and Dugin takes him into consideration because Dugin needs to have a principle that cannot be uh, rationally explained. Uh, for instance, like like Russian people, uh, Russian people uh, for Dugin is something that he cannot really confine in definition. And uh, in Heidegger's uh, Heidegger's thought. Uh, uh, the subject of philosophy, the being that thinks, the being that is center of, of history is Dasein, which means uh, 
being there, literally. And this is a German word to express existence, let's say something that is, but not as a thing, more like a presence. Uh, and this being uh, is man insofar as man has a comprehension of being in general, of his place in the world, of meaning of the world and so on. And Heidegger needs, uh, I'm sorry, Dugin needs such a term because he needs uh, a being that is not, uh, that cannot be defined by traditional terms because we humans have human nature. And we can say, for instance, man is a, is a, is a, is a being capable of thought, uh, rational being. Uh, but Dugin doesn't want that. He wants a special Russian man, Russian design, Russian being that cannot be really confined into these classical traditional categories. Now you can all, I understand this is very convoluted, but uh, well, uh, I'm talking about two very convoluted thinkers here, but I think you can see now that there is nothing really traditionalist about this. This is very postmodern. In fact, Are this you... is... Yeah. No, not to interrupt you, but I was going to bring up since you Please mentioned do. that. There's a very interesting BBC interview yeah. where the BBC interviewer keeps saying to Dugan, but that doesn't line up with the facts. And Dugan says, there are no facts. There are only interpretations. It is your postmodernity that shows us that. And if, they, you, have, yes. and if you accept postmodernity, you must accept our special postmodern Russian truth. Uh, and I always thought that was a very interesting line coming from him. Yeah, because uh, it suits him. But you have to, I mean, uh, he is a postmodernist in this sense. If you want to see postmodernity as a step forward from modernity into nothingness, Dugin is absolutely that. There is nothing in him uh, that, that tries to go back to some kind of, of uh, as I said in the beginning, in, in Ganon, this uh, luminous tradition of, 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 I mean, spiritual formation of humankind. Uh, if anything, when we're talking about taking a step back, Dugin wants to step back even beyond uh, men, not like post-humanists who want to go beyond men into future, I don't know, robotic men or augmented men. He wants to step uh, back into, I don't know, complete barbarism in chaos, in fact, because chaos, chaos is a principle that that is that he holds as a, as an origin of his philosophy, uh, and he thinks that postmodernity can accommodate chaos, and that it can accommodate, for instance, as he said in that interview, it can accommodate special Russian truth, and uh, as I said before, metaphysics of chaos, uh, fourth political theory, Dugin writing about orthodox theology. All those things are insignificant. Everything is about well, even, even his, um, not to interrupt you, but even his, at one mm -hmm. point he sort of associates with, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but chaos magic and things of that nature, correct? Yes, yes. I would be probably deviled in the books of, I, I was to tell you the truth, I forgot about the authors who, who, who are writing that chaos magic things. But uh, chaos concretely, the principle of chaos is something that he tends to mention every now and then as a, as a philosophical principle. That is to say, as a, what we call in philosophy, a he, the origin. Uh, but uh, 
you have uh, in, in, in ancient Greek uh, cosmogonies, those are uh, like in Hesiod, those are poems on the generation of gods because Greek gods uh, were born. They, they had this notion of uh, gods being part of, parts of the world. You have this uh, uh, chaos house, which interestingly enough in, 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 in Greek, this means like a raven or, 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 or a hole. I don't know the, the right English word to translate it, something very mundane. A house was a principle and sometimes it is identified with night, nix, uh, like an origin of things that gets inseminated by light, let's say, or by, by, by heavens or something like that. And this is the principle that Dugin would like to see as a, the only principle, because as he say, uh, a house encompasses everything, and it also encompasses logos. As you know, probably in postmodernity, they like to call logos tyrannical, masculine, blah blah blah. Dugin Dugin agrees with all that. Uh, and uh, what is interesting in this. Uh, fine orthodox believer logos is also identified with jesus christ and uh, the way uh, dugin puts it uh, he is uh, also identifying uh, logos with him in a sense and denigrates it to an utmost because he wants chaos and chaos would be the principle in which nothing uh, Nothing has a has an intelligible structure anymore. It's it's like a like a night without any speck of light, and supposedly from that night, some things, new things, uh, never seen, could emerge into this world. New thoughts, new philosophies, new countries. I think that it is obvious uh, when you, when you read his you know, he has this essay uh, on chaos principle, metaphysics of chaos that this is a kind of invocation of the underworld, as, as Freud said, Acheron uh, Movebo, I will uh, move, move to pity the gods of underworld. It's like he's invoking, uh, it's, he's invoking what is the lowest of the low, because in metaphysics, it is very important, that uh, orientation. So you have orientation upwards, you have orientation downwards. When in metaphysics you said God is the first cause of all things, you don't think in the sense that he is below, that he is in the depth of things, but he's above, because the light comes above. Everything that is uh, illuminating, uh, that is comprehensible, that is soothing even, comes from above. But what comes from below is, is opposite, obviously. And Dugin always, uh, that I noticed at the beginning, First time reading him, he always uh, uh, inverts. He wants the to find absolute below, and I think that Dugin's uh, uh, fundamental idea is to reach a su subhuman state. As some people in the West would like to be posthumans, he would like to be subhuman, which is worse. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm curious. Um... He sort of takes up all these different, I don't want to say personas, but, you know, one second it's Dugan the traditionalist, then it's uh, the, the Russian Dugan, yeah. the English Dugan, uh, the, the, the Gnostic Dugan, the, the chaos Dugan, the fourth political theory Dugan, the, the foundation of geopolitics Dugan. 
it, it, it gets really complex. And uh, I, I'm just wondering, you know, it, it seems like he's playing a lot of different games uh, with um, how he portrays himself to the public. Um, he has these images. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, this may seem off topic, but are you mm -hmm. familiar with a book uh, known as Dugan Against Dugan by Charles Upton? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I corresponded with Mr. Upton, but haven't read the book. I, I'm curious oh, because, I mean, I, I feel like Upton's view is that um, Dugan, he views Dugan, uh, he takes a traditionalist critique of fourth political theory. He basically views Dugan as more or less a Satanist. Uh, and Wahid Azal, who I recently had on, recommended you uh, because mm -hmm. I had asked about potential connections between uh, Dugan and this group known as the Order of Nine Angles, which for people that don't know, uh, the Order of Nine Angles, uh, from my understanding, these are Satanists that like taking up different personas um, constantly. Uh, yes. You know, could you talk about this? Is there a connection there? Uh, I don't think that there is a personal connection between Dugin and anybody from that circle, but uh, Order of the Nine Angles is, from what I know about them, it's, it's more like a franchise uh, than a movement. You know, they have these principles laid out so everybody can uh, can not, not join, but start practicing it. Uh, what you just mentioned, that's uh, what they call inside role. Uh, it is... Uh, uh, completely to the point. I don't think that Dugin influenced anybody there or vice versa, uh, but uh, this is a kind of complete depersonalization. So if you are capable to uh, completely take a role of good husband and on your Saturday night uh, out, uh, you, you make a terrorist attack uh, in which you kill, for instance, your parents-in-law, and then you get back to your family, and act as a, as a grieving uh, son-in-law, then you are depersonalized. There is nothing in you that 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 reacts uh, to to anything. And this is the 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 the, the aim. As I remember, I wrote about uh, Order of Nine Angles. I, I, I my memory is a bit rusty, but uh, the, the the idea is to to uh, achieve what they call a causal state. And that would be a state of chaos because uh, chaos is the absence of any reason or cause where you cannot really see what comes from what. But it is also uh, the space where nothing is conditioned by anything except perhaps your pure will because they want that this is satanic where, where your will uh, should, should be completely creative in a sense that you create yourself, uh, that you create your own reality. Although Order of the, uh, of the Nine Angles has also some very concrete political political uh, aims. And a uh, uh, similar thing with Duginism. Dugin is that uh, the whole metaphysical claptrap that can get very subtle because as I remember reading some of the materials uh, allegedly by David Mayat uh, under pseudonym Anton Long, a very subtle, he has this interpretation of Heidegger that is very to the point. Uh, I mean, uh, very good understanding of ancient Greek. But I think uh, those things are all ir irrelevant. The only relevant thing for them, <laughs> them is the creation of what they call a galactic imperium, 
the Fourth Reich in outer space or something like that. Uh, aims are completely political. And that's what I want to stress again about Dugin. That's also the situation in Dugin and the people who are looking for some kind of metaphysics or spirituality are knocking at the wrong door. He is not, uh, he, he is not uh, writing those books in order uh, to tackle philosophical problems. He is uh, writing them to make uh, Russia world empire. This is his main motive. Okay, okay. So it, it sounds like there isn't necessarily a connection between the order of nine angles and, and Dugan, but there may be um, like a parallel in the way that, uh, for, for instance, so David Mayak goes from neo-Nazi to jihadist to Satanist, and it's uh-huh. sort of like how Dugan goes from Nazbul to, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, traditionalist to Eastern Orthodox. He, he's always jumping around, and it yes. seems like Dugan creates a lot of smoke screens. Uh, that's very similar mentality, but uh, what I want to say is I cannot make any any meaningful connection between persons. Although you know, for, uh, as far as I remember, order of the nine angles, uh, you don't really know who who is who is in order of nine angles. I think it is a creation of one man. In fact, that this is all created by this guy. Myat. Of course, I cannot prove it. I I wouldn't bother. Because people who research this uh, this peculiar topic tend to get drowned into it because it's it's, it's complicated, it's completely fringe, uh, but in a strange sense fascinating, and it's better not not to give it too much thought. But uh, and a, a think, lot of times when you get pulled into the fascination, yes. I think a lot of people end up becoming part of the mythology, or they start to help mythologize these characters that they come under the spell of it in a way weird way. Yes, 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 and they 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 give them they give them significance that they don't have, unfortunately. But okay, I mean, I, I, I have to be honest. Uh, the 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 guy or the people who created this order of the nine angles, this is uh, in a, in a perverse sense admirable what they created. They had this. Uh, as I recall, some kind of game, uh, co- complicated board game that they used, like initiation. Then you have this very elaborated system, uh, metaphysical, let's say, inverted comma system. This is not something that is easy to pull off. Uh, I mean, it's something that that uh, requires uh, considerable dedication. But as I tell you. Uh, there are no no connection uh, that I know of. Although uh, people who are in this sphere of uh, I don't know Dugin and such people who follow Dugin, uh, who who maybe form some kind of small political parties with Duginist ideas, will probably uh, come across order of the nine angles people. This is very similar. This is the same vibe. As you said, with this uh, um, uh, example of this depersonalization of inside role, it's absolutely, absolutely similar. And uh, I think works on the same principle. And the principle is chaos. So there, there were just uh, one or two more things I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you once referred to Dugan as the, the serpent snake oil salesman. Why, why the serpent? Um, what, what, <laughs> I mean, do, do you see Dugan as a... I mean, I believe uh, I was told that you were Catholic. Do you see Dugan as almost um, a satanic 
sort of character in some ways or having satanic characteristics in a very abstract sense? Tugin is, yeah, you put it in, in a quite, quite good terms, abstract sense, because he's a philosophical satanist. I mean, principle, when you invert, look, when you say there is God above, and then somebody says, no, God is below, that's philosophical satanism, because you invert the principle. But in Dugin, you have, huh, you have one other thing. Uh, he, he, he has this appetite for destruction, uh, I was listening to, to one of his speeches now, I think maybe a month old. So when Ukraine war already started, I was astonished uh, how composed he is because they are losing war. Uh, they, they, they made a, a king size screw up in Ukraine, Russians. But Dubis doesn't seem to be bothered. And as my friend Mikhail, my friend and collaborator for Cali Tribune noticed, Whenever he says word destruction, destroyed, <laughs> he seems like in ecstasy. He's so happy. He seems so tranquil. Because if you ever listen to Dugin speak, he is not an unpleasant guy. I could maybe a few years ago before everything happened, if you put him uh, at the same table with him, uh, we would have a lot to talk about. And I'm sure he's a very charming man and so on. But it's very interesting to see that uh, he can uh, throw ideas out uh, that are uh, uh, hair-raising, that, 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 that can freeze, make your blood freeze with, with, with the smile of, of, of a child, with complete innocence uh, in composture. But I think he's a very destructive guy. I've read some things about his younger days in Moscow and so on and it was it was not really growing up I would recommend to anyone so anything in particular that stood out to you and he was a member of this Luzhinsky circle with what was his name Goliovin uh, one guy who was a poet they were dissident underground in the early 80s Moscow so <laughs> they practice well they call it uh, uh, enlightenment through debauchery, through drinking, uh, and uh, what not. I sure to think what 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 they did. So he's very chaotic. He was known as a very chaotic, very intense youth. I remember reading about one author who was a part of the circle when he first showed up as a, as an eighteen year old kid. That everybody could nobody could could uh, get his eyes from him. He was so intense wild, uh, full of energy, and he, but he's utterly destructive. Yeah. That, that's when he was anti-Soviet dissident, but he changed his mind very soon. He loves the Soviet Union now. Now, the, the last two things I wanted to ask you about is, um, when it comes to religious matters, it's, it's hard for me to comment because I would say, I often tell people I'm, I'm sort of a fallen Catholic, yeah. you know, but it's interesting to me with Dugan, I feel as if his ideology is, in a lot of ways, very based around the temporal world. And, and maybe mm -hmm. I'm wrong about that, but I just, I feel like he's seducing Christians into heresy, if uh -huh. that makes sense. Yeah, well, yeah, he does. But Christians that get seduced by him deserve nothing better, in my opinion. And this rather harsh statement of mine, 
comes from experience. Look, there are a lot of people who are kind of shopping for religions on the internet. So, <laughs> and they're in fact looking for some kind of police system to feel good on this. So they become Orthodox, but then they become Catholic, but then Catholicism doesn't fit them, but then, then they go into some of these uh, uh, more extreme traditionalist forms of Catholicism and so on and so forth. Uh, anybody who is genuinely religious and uh, look if you are catholic under 30 years old uh, it would be peculiar if you are not following catholic because in, in, in general religion there is necessary period of life almost for most people in which they are they see themselves on the quite the opposite side of the religion they belong to and then maybe they start to revert towards it uh, Anybody who has that thinking, who has this kind of sensus fidelium, you have this sense of uh, maybe not even sacred, uh, but right or wrong, will sniff him out, you know, because uh, no matter what he writes about uh, uh, Russian Orthodox Church and, and, and it's, 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 it's uh, perfect. Uh, symphony of church and state and so on, uh, you'll see, you'll sense that something's wrong with that guy. I mean, he's, uh, uh, Russians, not only Dugin, Dugin is in this sense insignificant, Russians in general, with their propaganda, have pulled a lot of people uh, into really personal uh, personal meltdowns and ambits. I, I was, uh, I, I had very ugly experiences now as this Ukraine thing, uh, started with this invasion. Uh, I don't comment on politics that much, but uh, this is uh, this is a de facto third world war, so I cannot but not comment. And people who perceived that I'm supporting Ukrainians quite naturally from my position, uh, cut ties with me, I mean, attacked me, which is not the problem in itself, but the arguments they used were arguments that are completely taken from Russian propaganda. There are, uh, well, I want to say, a huge number of people in the West that are using internet for information are being brainwashed by Russians. Although, good thing is that Russians screwed up this operation totally. I mean, information warfare. Uh, if they went step by step in Ukraine, they would have got, get what they wanted, I think. But with this uh, abrupt uh, attack, uh, everybody now sees, uh, sees them for what they are. It's interesting that you had mentioned, and I didn't even think to mention this, but you talked about how everyone online is always shopping for uh, some ideology or spirituality, um, and someone is always selling them the oh, I will give you the secret knowledge, the secret knowledge. Um, mm. Do you think there's a connection between Duganism and, and maybe like a, a form of Gnosticism? Or I don't know how to put it because I'm not, I'm, I'm not a scholar on uh, spirituality. But yes. There seems to be a Gnostic element to Dugan. Yes. For instance, we mentioned Derek Vogelin. He would call him Gnostic right off the bat because he used uh, Vogelin thought that uh, most of the ideological currents of modernity are in fact Gnostic. Uh, modernization of all Gnostic uh, Gnostic heresies, let's call them heresies. Uh, Dugin, is, uh, Dugin is definitely Gnostic. 
Eh, sometimes he calls himself Gnostic uh, because uh, some of these ideas, for instance, this chaos principle, or, or for instance, this idea of femininity, uh, the femininity of chaos, those are very Gnostic ideas. And uh, the most important thing, he has a Gnostic style of writing, uh, especially at the time when he was still drinking, you kind of <laughs> can recognize when he was under influence. Some of his uh, essays I read in, in, in Serbian translation are very funny to read, but uh, uh, he, he uses this uh, Gnostic imagery, snakes, uh, poison, uh, chaos, uh, always this dark imagery that was very peculiar for Gnostics. So he is, I think, because Gnostics, uh, immanentizing the eschaton, that was a Gnostic thing, I would say. Although, of course, these ancient Gnostic, we don't know that much about them, but judging by their writings, yes. Yes, that, that comes in, in, in very similar, if not the same category as the So the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and I asked mm -hmm. Wahidas all about this as well. Uh, there's one quote that comes from Dugan that has always stuck out to me, and I always want to understand it and get people's thoughts on how they interpret it. Uh, but Dugan has said, you know, he has this bombastic line, we will cure you with poison. What does he mean by that, in your view? Uh, if I remember correctly, this is a short essay on Westerners. Uh, that means you and me. More you than me, because, <laughs> because I'm Slav in Eastern Europe, but uh, never mind. He, he lumps us all under the West. I think that, that by this he means, uh, this is very what, uh, probably agnostic symbol, which I cannot now really pinpoint the source. It sounds very agnostic. Uh, he, he is talking about uh, the way the, he wants to see R Russians uh, uh, saving us from ourselves uh, by incorporating us into Eurasian empire. I'm certain of this because everything, as I mentioned a few times before, everything's Everything is about that. Everything is a political uh, globalist project. Nothing else is important. Those are only metaphors he uses with one and only one purpose. And he said in, in, in one instance that, uh, by the way, he considers, uh, he's very popular in America. He's more popular in the United States than in Russia. Americans are irredeemable for him. This is not... Uh, the matter of choice, if you are born in, uh, as uh, informed as a member of uh, Talasocratic Sea Empire of America, the modern Carthage, as he calls it, uh, you are uh, you are beyond redemption. At one place, he says, "We can love Westerners the way we love damned souls in the hell." In hell, you know. Uh, it's interesting thing. Uh, that Russians, Russian Orthodox have this strange uh, propensity for this idea that devil himself will be saved and so on as so-called apocatastasis. You have it in Dostoevsky and uh, Dugin now displays it. That's the way he sees us. And, well, this makes us uncurable, I guess, only maybe through total warfare where we will be reduced to civilizational nothingness and rebuilt again. It's really interesting that you mentioned that because I've seen some of his English videos for his little show. I think it's called um, 
uh, Dugan's viewpoint or something along those lines. But you watch the English versions and he'll he'll talk about the American people and he'll say, and I, I'm always amazed when I find like Americans that are into Dugan because when he talks about America in his English language broadcast, he says, and the Americans, they are a, a simple people. They, they are a simple, we must support their simpleness. You know, they, 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 they support Trump because they are a simple people. He's basically calling Americans and Westerners <laughs> morons. He's calling them idiots. Yes. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. And this, this, uh, this can show you what kind of uh, uh, vivid imagination exists in, in Russian culture, especially political culture, because they believe, I'm certain of it, uh, people like him are probably that crazy Putin. They really think that they can pull this off, that they are superior, that they can take on NATO. They cannot take on NATO. I mean, in a conventional sense, they can start nuclear war, but I don't think that they will gain much from that. And this is option on the table, by the way. And uh, Dugin also spoke about it. Yeah? And it is the truth. Yeah, he, he, he in fact, doesn't have high opinion of America. As, as I told you, it's not simply that you are morons, it's that you should not exist. And this is what people don't understand because uh, sometimes, uh, I mean, I'm not American and I come from the culture that is rather different, uh, but I know a lot of Americans. And uh, uh, sometimes I'm in position uh, that I'm defending USA from them because they are so critical of their country and culture that I have to step in and say, you are not right. <laughs> America used to have at least excellent universities. Uh, there were times when America was a leading country in literacy in the world now. It's not, but, well, maybe it will be again or something like that, optimistic, and they then they start telling me about Americans detonating the atom bomb, whereas Russians never detonating an atom bomb. Well, maybe that will change. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I have to ask, uh, because this conversation, I guess what always ends up being my roadblock with Dugan, and this will be the final thing here, mm -hmm. is, um, you know, I, I think a lot of times, if I'm honest, I come from maybe a, a view of... Um, you know, scientific empiricism, um, mm -hmm. or, or there's people that come from rationalism. I get the impression that Dugan doesn't come from those type of epistemologies. Uh, so in a lot of ways, there's no way to understand him if you come from certain epistemologies that aren't uh, based in his sort of mysticism, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, he comes from kind of philosophy that that is in my blood literary and this is maybe the reason why i'm why he pisses me off so much that i write about him because he uh, takes it and 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 destroys it it uses it it inverted in inverts it although i have to tell you one thing about this geopolitics on which i always get back the best uh uh, best epistemological definition of uh, Dugin's uh, geopolitics would be dialectical materialism, because it is a dialectic of pure matter, uh, of pure uh, geological, geographical givens. And at one place, he even calls it that. 
So uh, all this, uh, what seems to you like mysticism and such, is not really mysticism. It's more like um, a kind of materialism, uh, intoxicated materialism. I don't know. Do you how, see him as connected to like the same traditions as, say, Karl Marx or? Yes, but he said that uh, one should read René Guénon like Marx. A dialectical materialism is simply a principle, a contradictory one, I might add. It's very hard to understand how matter can be a dialectical of itself. But in this uh, clash of sea and land, this is the pure dialectics. You have two opposites that are in conflict, that are not going towards what Hegel called Versunung, reconciliation but ultimate conflict, they cannot be reconciled. So they have to, uh, they have to uh, create a new state that will come after the destruction of the one of the opposites. Or, why, do you, why do you say that it's a dialectical materialism that's intoxicated though? And that last thing there. Uh, intoxication part comes because it's, it has this mystical, uh, mystical, uh, uh, atmosphere around it. And as a very similar thing is a na- national mysticism. Uh, when people, you don't have that in USA, in fact, in this sense, but you have some people in Eastern Europe, I saw that when, when, when nationalism becomes a kind of religion, uh, and this is the, uh, the, it becomes a religion of, maybe blood and soil. For instance, in Dugin's case, is more a, a, a religion of soil. Blood does not, race does not play a role. Really, he's, he's sincere there. And uh, from this uh, intoxication with that pretty banal material given, he creates a kind of philosophical poetry. But when you take this philosophical poetry uh, back to its origin, you see there is nothing at the bottom. It's, it's completely shallow, empty. That's what I meant. Well, I want to thank you, Branko Malik, for well, coming on you. Parallax Views. Uh, any last words or what do you hope that my listeners get out of this conversation and how can they keep up with your work? Well, your listeners are probably not, not interested in Dugin. <laughs> and I recommend not to get interested in him. Uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, I hope I, uh, I was uh, I was being uh, articulate enough. This uh, this is this can get pretty complicated, and that's more or less it. I I, I don't have anything uh, further to add. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Branko Malich of the Kali Tribune. And of course, if you support the work here I do at Parallax Views, please, please, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Should be releasing some more Patreon bonus content this month, including a new series that started last month with C. Derek Varn, formerly of Zero Books. So one more time, patreon.com slash parallaxviews if you wish to support the work I'm doing. I've slowed down a bit because it is the summer and I have some issues to attend to here at home, but I plan on releasing more content this month. So, with that being said, until next time, 
You've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing this like crazy. So, you know, we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.